today, how to live ready for today. And I will tell you, I have been looking forward to this Sunday and this message specifically on this Sunday ever since we launched this sermon series on January 23rd. The day we opened up, chapter 1, verse 1, and we got started in this book, I was looking forward to chapter 19 because this is the Sunday we get to talk about the return of Jesus. This is the Sunday that with all the stuff we've been going through, all the challenging and hard things we've been reading and, and the tribulation time period and all these future events that some of this is hard, this is the time when we get to celebrate, again, the return of Jesus. And this monumental future event, it is promised, it is prophesied, it is anticipated, it is celebrated all over the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. I want to show you a slide here real quick. This is just a quick example of places in the Old Testament that talk about the return of Jesus. Now, you don't have to frantically write all that down. It's in your bulletin there on the page for you, so you can go back and look those up on your own. But this is something that is anticipated and, ex and is an exciting uh, feature in the Scripture. The Old Testament has literally hundreds of different prophecies about the return of the coming of Jesus. This is just a few of those examples here. Just a few. These are called messianic prophecies. That's the fancy name for it. And the Old Testament has all, again, all these verses, all these prophecies about it. But here's what the Old Testament couldn't see, or at least see well. And that is that Jesus wasn't going to come just once, but twice See, Jesus came the first time, and he came that first Christmas, born as a baby, born in Bethlehem, and, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And Jesus came that first time. He was, he was born so that he could die. He was born so that he could live the, the flawless, sinless life and go to the cross in our place to pay our sin penalty. That is why he came. And over and over, Scripture highlights that this was going to happen. Let me give you just a few examples. It's right there on the screen. This is just five examples. We see in Micah 5, 2, an Old Testament book. It talked about how the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Check that box. That happened. Isaiah 7, 14, Messiah would be born to a virgin. Pretty unique. That stands out. And that, of course, happened as well. Messiah will enter Jerusalem on a donkey from Zechariah 9.9. And that happened on Palm Sunday, which we celebrate next week. The Messiah sold for 30 pieces of silver. Again, Zechariah. That, of course, happened. And finally, the Messiah to be executed by crucifixion. And that happened, which is interesting, by the way, because when these Old Testament verses were written about it, crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. And yet it gives description for how the Messiah would suffer and how he would die. These Old Testament messianic prophecies are remarkable. In fact, there's a mathematician, a guy named Peter Stoner. And what he did was he said, what are the odds or the probability of just 48 prophecies coming to fruition in the life of one person? One person working out all these prophecies and just pick 48. There's many more than that because there's hundreds of these things. But just 48 and he's smarter than any of us probably in the room and did all the calculations. And this was the number that he came up with of the odds of just one person fulfilling 48 prophecies. Here's your number. It's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And yes, I counted every zero in that PowerPoint slide. I don't even know what that number is. I don't even know how to say that number. Basically, that means impossible. The odds of just one person fulfilling 48 prophecies is that. And yet Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. And for this number, by the way, let me give, help give some context to this. 10 to the 157th power. 
10 times 10, 157 times. 10 to the 17th power, which is still a big number, that's the number of seconds in 13.7 billion years. About the age that scientists at least say that the, the universe is. Or 10 to the 30th power, still a huge number, 10 to just 30th power, that's the number of grains of sediment, dirt, sand, whatever you want to call it, on planet Earth. That's 10 to the 30. 10 to the 30, ironically, is also the number approximate of atoms in the human body. So this number of 10 to the 157th power is massive. And again, it communicates impossible. And yet, Jesus did not fulfill 48 messianic prophecies. He didn't fulfill 100 in his first coming. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. Remarkable. But here's what's important and what I want to highlight this morning is that not every prophecy, not every messianic prophecy has been fulfilled yet. There's still more. There's still more to be fulfilled. Let me give you one example here from Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Just look at the screen behind me here. If you're watching online on your screen as well, it says this. Then he, speaking of Jesus, he'll, Jesus will appear, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man. Notice here, by the way, this second coming is a visible coming here. They will see him. That All the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. This is not Christmas. This is not Jesus born in Bethlehem. This is Jesus' second coming. This is him returning, and this is what we anticipate is going to happen. This is an example of messianic prophecy that is yet still to be fulfilled. And our chapter this morning has more. Chapter 19, hopefully you're there with your paper Bible or digital version, whatever you use this morning, because with that introduction, we're ready to jump in and get started in a remarkable passage of Scripture. Chapter 19, verse 1, let's jump in. It says, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. And it was shouting. Now, now who is this? This is angels and heavenly beings. This multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. And he has uh, condemned the great prostitute. This is Babylon. This is from last week that we talked about in chapter 18. He has condemned the great prostitute who prostitute who has corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. I want to pause here real quick. You notice I underlined the word hallelujah. And if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. And here's why. Here's the very first time in the New Testament the word hallelujah is exclaimed. Now, this word is used in the Old Testament 23 times, but throughout the entire New Testament, book after book after book, this word has never been used. And finally, chapter 19, the return of Jesus, it's almost like all of heaven, and we'll see here all of earth, this, this eruption of celebration and praise to cry out hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. That's what it means. We sing it in some of our songs here as well. That's what it means. You have this hallelujah chorus breaking out in the beginning of this scene here for the return of Jesus. Let's keep going in verse 3. And again they shouted. Here it is again. Hallelujah. And the smoke from her goes up 
forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, again, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. So this amazing eruption of worship is is happening. Worship is preceding the event here of the return of Christ. But here's the part I love even more than what we've just read. Because here's the part where the bride of Christ jumps in to the worship. This is us. This someday might be you. In this scene here, Revelation chapter 6, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the the loud peals of thunder, shouting, and here it is, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. And let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Why? Here's why. For the wedding of the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus, has come. And his bride, this is us, this is the church, his bride has made herself ready. And fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Notice real quick here. Notice that, I mean, we might call it a wedding dress, but notice whatever the garment is, is a gift that is given to the bride, given to the church. She didn't earn it. She doesn't deserve it. This is grace. It's given to the church for this scene in this moment. Parenthetical now highlights fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. It says, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. In other words, take it to the bank. You can count on this. These are the true words of God. Now this scene in this moment where this wedding announcement takes place and it's going to be the church and the Lamb of Jesus in this wedding here, John is so completely overwhelmed and captivated by the scene. Look what he does here next. It says, At this I, John, the author here, fell at his feet to worship him. So what's John doing? He's so overwhelmed. He begins to worship this angel. This angel that is speaking these words, giving this revelation. But he, the angel, said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. He says, worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. You notice, by the way, there in that last verse, the Trinity is right there. God, Spirit, and Son. We don't worship angels. We're never to worship angels. And the angel rebukes him and says, don't do that. Don't do that. There's only one who's worthy of worship. And it's the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. He redirects John's worship to where it's due. But this introduction of this scene, this future wedding between Jesus and his bride gets announced here. And again, this is about the church and this is about Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that this wedding, everything about it echoes a Jewish wedding that would have taken place during the time of Jesus' first coming. Let me give you an example in terms of laying how this works. See, in Jewish times, in Jewish culture, when a guy liked a girl, he 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 would go to her and he would make a proposition to her. And he would propose to her marriage. And he would invite her to be his wife. 
And if she accepted, then they would be legally married. They would be engaged at that time. And Jesus has done that with every single one of us here this morning, is continuing to do that every day around the world, pursuing the people that he loves, the people in every tribe, nation, and people group around the world, the invitation to be in relationship with him, to say yes to Jesus, to uh, salvation is what we're talking about. That people would say no to self and turn from sin and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. The invitation from Jesus as the groom echoes and has throughout all 2,000 years of church age and it echoes today and it will tomorrow. This pursuit that he has for the people that he loves and I love the, this, when, when, the, when the bride says yes, it becomes legally binding. And that echoes the verses in scriptures that say those who say yes to Jesus and enter into a relationship with him, the Bible talks about how none can snatch that person out of his hands. It is a legally binding. We are not saved by works. We come by faith and we ask the Lord, the, him to be our Lord and Savior. And when that happens, we are his. And we are in relationship with him. That's where it begins. Well, if the bride says yes, the groom celebrates and then goes away. The groom leaves. What does he do? He goes and prepares a home for them. He goes to prepare a place. And this is what Jesus did. He told us this. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Just look on the screen behind. He said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, when Jesus accomplished everything on the cross, his death and his resurrection, he ascended back to the Father. And he is there preparing a place for you. And next Sunday, as we wrap up the book of Revelation, we get to have a kind of a fixer-upper Chip and Joanna Gaines tour through the place that he's preparing for you. You get to see it. He tells us what it's like. And so we'll get to see what that looks like next week. But this is what he's done. He's gone away to prepare a place and he promises, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And in Jewish times, what was interesting about this was only the father of the groom, the son, could say when it was time to come back. Wanted to make sure the, the son didn't cut corners, you know, do sort of shady work on the place so he could hurry up and get married with his, his wife. He would make sure it was done right and well. And only when the father said, it's okay, it's time, could the groom put the hammer down and go and get his wife. And it's the same here. Only the father knows the time. And when the father says it's time, Jesus will come back. And that's what happened. Absolutely, we can celebrate that. And that's what will happen in the future. And that's what happened with the church, or with, with Jesus, or in the groom here. We see here that when the father said it was time, the groom would then leave and go and get his bride, and they would celebrate the wedding, and, and everything would be consummated there. We live today as the bride of Christ, the church, in the time of waiting. We live today in a time of waiting on Jesus to come back, that this is our calling, that we as his bride would live ready, that we would live pure, that we would live holy, that we would live in anticipation for his return. You see, that was the bride's job. She didn't know the day that he would come. It could be any day. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week or a month from now. And it's the same for us. We don't know when Jesus is coming, but he promises, I'm coming. And so we get to live 
ready. We get to prepare ourselves for this. See, part of our evidence of our love for Jesus is how we live waiting for the return of Jesus. This is part of what it looks like. And this is what we're called to do. Because the day will come when the horn will sound and the groom will arrive and Jesus will come back and that is the rapture of the church and we will be with him forever. This is the picture that we have. After this wedding takes place, this incredible scene that we see here in chapter 19, now it's time for the return of Jesus to hear. Look with me now at verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. White symbolizes victory and conquest, whose rider now on the horse is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. And with justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, because he's the king of kings. And he has, or excuse me, he, uh, he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. This is us. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Notice here, Jesus will, de- will, will conquer by the declaring of, of truth in his word. It continues, it says, He will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. This is for all to see now. King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Wow. This is incredible. This is the epic moment here that Jesus is returning. He's coming back. But I want you to notice here that as he is preparing to come back, the Antichrist on earth is, is preparing too. And he will gather a vast army from all the nations of the world that are left. And he will then march in Israel, march into Jerusalem in order to take the city. Now what's interesting, I want to pause here real quick. And we're going to jump to the Old Testament. Don't have to turn there, but it's on the slide here. To the book of Zechariah chapter 14 verses 2 through 4. And then I'm going to jump to verse 9 because Zechariah prophesies about this event when Jesus comes back. And it gives us a little more texture and a scenery of what's happening here when he returns. Here's the prophecy. It says, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. Again, this is by the Antichrist and his army. The houses ransacked and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. And then the Lord, and this is Jesus, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and on the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. 
and the Lord will be the king, will be, excuse me, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. That tells us a little bit more of what's going on here. I want to show you a picture here. This is the Mount of Olives. You have on the left there just sort of a scenery picture of this place, but on the right, more of a, a bigger aerial shot to give context. The Mount of Olives there is on the upper right. By the way, this is the very location Jesus ascended from, and he will return to that location. If you continue to the left, you'll see the Kidron Valley there. It is literally a valley. That's where next Sunday on Palm Sunday, where Jesus on the donkey would have ridden over the Mount of Olives down the Kidron Valley. And then you see there the Temple Mount with the Dome of the Rock, which we've talked about in this sermon series as well. That gives you some context of Jerusalem. Jesus will come back to that location. And that's where his feet will plant. And everything will change. Let's go back now to Revelation chapter 19 as we close this morning. Here's verse 19 as we close. It says, Then I, this is John now, saw the beast, this is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse. This is Jesus and his army. This is us. But the beast was captured. Notice he's not killed. He's only captured. The beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf and with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. See, when all seemed hopeless... When in the city of Jerusalem, where so much history has taken place, the Antichrist marches on and these horrific things begin to happen as the, as the armies move into the city, Jesus comes back. And I want you to notice something here. There's actually not even a fight. There's, there's really no battle. This is sort of akin to a pay-per-view, you know, where you sign up and then like one punch, the guy falls, and you're like, I want my money back. Like that was, that's sort of what's going on here. Jesus simply shows up and he declares truth of the word and that's it for the armies. It is game, set, match over. Jesus has conquered and that's it. The Antichrist, the false beasts are plucked out and put into the lake of burning sulfur. And we'll get to that later on in another time here. Just a moment, I'll explain that. But, but this is how Jesus comes back and how definitively his return will conquer the Antichrist and the armies of evil in Babylon and what they're trying to accomplish. And with that, Jesus will be here. Here's our big idea for this morning. We've shared this earlier and we'll share it again today because in the end, Jesus wins. And I hope that gives you hope in your heart, both for today and tomorrow, that though we go through challenges and struggles, though sometimes we feel like everything is out of control and we don't know what's going on in the world and we don't understand what's going to happen and it feels very uncertain, it raises our anxiety, and yet you can have hope in Jesus. And you can, because of this revelation here as we've read it, if nothing else, understand he's got this and sovereignly he is going to work his plan in the midst of all the hardships and in the end you know who wins. And you're on the side of who wins if you're in relationship with Jesus, if you have said yes to his proposal. And so I want to close this morning with just two questions for you, maybe three. Here's my first one. Are you ready? 
Are you ready? We, we have been asking that question since going through 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, now Revelation, over and over. Are we living ready? Do we live on the balls of our feet, sort of ready and anticipating the return of Christ? And here's part of what this means. Because as we live, the church, we live in the time of waiting, waiting for the groom to come back, waiting for Jesus to return. Are we living, we, uh, we could say New Hope Church, but we could say you individually, are you living in a posture of anticipating his return and all that that entails? That you're walking with him, loving him, praying, that you're pursuing him and holiness in a corrupt world? Or is the pattern of your life, though you give lip service to being the bride, if you're honest, you're running around with the world? And you're not faithful. And you're trying to play both sides. You know, one foot, one foot, so to speak, in faith. The other one, and I'm going to be like everybody else because that's how you get ahead. One foot, and I love church on Sunday. But the other foot over here is don't ask me how I'm doing on Tuesday or even look into my life because I'm sort of a different person. How are we living ready? We are an engaged, betrothed people. We need to be faithful to the one who loves us, who's coming for us. So how are you doing in that area of your life? And then my last question for you this morning. Have you responded to the invitation? The invitation to Jesus to be in relationship, because you've seen it over and over again. Revelation is, is separating people Sheep and goats, those who love him, those who don't. Those who are marked by the, by the Lord and those who take the mark of the beast. It just continues to separate and to divide. And so which camp are you on? His proposal of love is there for you. His proposal to you to be in relationship with him is available to all of us. Have you made that decision? And maybe you keep putting it off. Maybe you're just not sure. Maybe you never thought about it. But if you're here this morning and you've not made that decision to say yes to Jesus to be in relationship, this is a great day to do it because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if this is you, when this service is over, there's going to be people up here for prayer and they want to pray with you. And I would encourage you to come up and would you just share with them what's on your heart? And would you share with them where, where you're at? And, and, and they will help you know how to make those decisions and those steps to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. This is a great day to do that. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. And, and uh, as, as they're getting ready, I just have one commercial as we close. Next Sunday, we wrap up Revelation. It's been quite a ride. We'll be covering chapters 21 and 22. You might say, well, what about chapter 20? We were going to cover it this morning, but, but there's too much. And so what I've decided to do is on Tuesday, probably midday or so, I'm going to be leading a Bible study online. It'll be on Facebook, the church website. We'll rip it to Sermons Podcast there, and you can listen to it at your convenience. And not that you have to be there on Tuesday. You don't. It'll all be available for you. But I'm going to take us through chapter 20, which is a remarkable chapter of Scripture, because in it we're going to learn about the millennium, this thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about hell, 
lake of fire? What, what is that and what's going on there? And it's going to be more of a Bible study, just me up here on the stage with a stool talking with you and, and, and leading us through. So, so it's a kind of grab a cup of coffee, grab your Bible when it's, re- when it's convenient for you and best for you and sit down during the week this next week and just enjoy chapter 20. And then we come together next Sunday, we're going to pick up chapter 21 and 22 and finish the book of Revelation. So very, very excited for that. Would you just pray with me? And then we are going to stand and we're going to worship the one who is so worthy to be worshiped. Father, thank you again for today and and thank you that you are coming back. And I just hope that in every heart, whether watching online this morning or here on campus, that there is just a sense of excitement that that maybe in the, the contours of our lives, the things that we're going through, maybe there's not a lot to be excited about these days. But we can be excited about this. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you invite us into relationship. But I want to ask, Lord, that as your people, that, Father, we would be faithful in the waiting, that we would pursue holiness, and that we would honor you as we wait for your return. And if there's places in each of our lives, these things that we smuggle deep into our heart and we don't want anybody to know about, there's some ways that we're not living faithful. Father, we come to you in a heart of repentance. We ask, Father, that though we know the blood of Christ has covered all sins, our sin can, can break fellowship with you. And so we do that this morning. Father, we love you and we worship you who are so worthy. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and worship. As you stand to worship with us, um, you know, I wanted to kind of hearken back to what Pastor Ryan shared at the beginning of the message, that word hallelujah, right, that comes out, that, that even in heaven, that is the natural response to God's goodness. Um, and so we have that same opportunity right now to, to praise him for his goodness, for his steadfast love, and to sing out that hallelujah. So let's, let's give this song to God as we worship him for, uh, for being the wonderful, strong amazing God that he is. Please sing with us. God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord, our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. sing to the God who always makes a way. 
he hung up on that cross, that he rose up from that grave, my God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Let's sing that again. Cause we were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're on and free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. we shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. oh, oh. we shout out your praise. Oh. oh. Thanks for joining us in worship this morning. As a reminder, there are folks available to pray this morning, so we encourage you to, to meet up with them if you'd like to pray. Otherwise, God bless. Have a wonderful Sunday.